to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. We are now joined by Doug Lane, publishing manager of Zero Books. Welcome to the show, Doug. How are you? Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on to spread the, the my word of woe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolutely. Well, let's talk about what that woe is um, a little bit. You recently, you were censored, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Zero Books is a like critical theory or left-wing publisher and we also though run a podcast and a youtube channel to promote what we do and one of our videos was taken down it was removed because we apparently according to the algorithm violated community standards on covid um although the video that was taken down was not actually about covid uh and we did not violate the standards as described in the automated email that we got but yeah we had a well, had a video taken down. So this video was, you know, you were tell. I, I believe, from what I hear, you were telling people to not, to not only not wear masks, but that the way to get over COVID was to let Alex Jones give you analingus. Yeah, that's you, be, that is technically not the case. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's denying it. It's a how-to video on how to make jankum, right? That's the the cure for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no, it would. But that's as it was as if that's what the video was, because that's the kind of thing that I guess should be taken down or that would violate the community standards anyway. But no, it was not. It did have a clip of Alex Jones in it. And it was the, the video was about why the Great Reset, this thing coming out of the World Economic Forum and other places, has been taken up as a as a. a talking point by the far reactionary right and has become a conspiracy um and why the left uh as it's kind of known in the united states the progressive left you know the the statist left sort of plays into the hands of the of the right uh and aligns itself with forces which are against the working class um and why you know, there's a kernel of rationality. There's a rational kernel in the in the conspiracy theories, which is that the banks and and the World Economic Forum, they're not your friends. They're not going to help you. The Great Reset is is a bunch of bullshit. Uh, but uh, it isn't um, some uh, conspiracy planned out to destroy the economy and the American way of life either. Um, that's just happening because of the way capitalism functions and the contradictions in our society so but but yeah that was the kind of thing that i was saying in the in the video um i also talked about like christopher lash and paul sweezy and and did my usual sort of hyper focused sectarian analysis of another uh, another leftist dead leftist you know um that was the real purpose of the video was to continue doing that but i i, I threw in the great reset as a clickbaity kind of subject to get people to to look at the video okay that I was think my big mistake this is making more sense now so this is one of those things where you you know 
said something in quotes. You're, I'm just referencing something, not using the language. And then right. a robot whose job it is to narc on people on the internet saw it and uh, didn't take into context that it was uh, reference and not use. So that happens, you know, to all of us, I'm sure. Um, it, certainly, it certainly happened to me at one t- point or another on like Twitter where you, you know, the, the thing doesn't get your joke. Uh, the freaking... <laughs> You know, robot says you said a, a word you're not supposed to say, and then you know they don't understand irony and things like that. Um, or people are able to report it, and then you know feign um, misunderstanding and stuff like that. So, sure. So this, for all intents and purposes, is like uh, should be a misunderstanding in theory if the yeah. system is supposed to work the way it does, right? But then what happened? Right. Well, okay, so when what what happened was I uploaded the video twice. Luckily, it didn't get counted twice, but the first time I uploaded it, uh, it, 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 I, it, did, it got removed, but I didn't really realize that it got removed until I had uploaded a second version. And I uploaded a second version because the first version had a little bit of music in it that was getting a copyright claim, so I couldn't monetize it. So I re-edited it royalty free music and put it back up and and while i was putting it back up the first video was taken down and then the second video just was sitting there wasn't getting a lot of views at all and i thought "Uh oh this is being suppressed something's happening because of this mistake they've made taking down the video the first version so i'm i got on chat uh, on chat with a representative and i t- explained to them that it wasn't what it seemed i guess that the algorithm had heard alex jones being you know quoted or it's like a little clip of him and gotten all excited and that that anybody (laughs) who watched it would realize that it was that was a mistake and i hope that it wouldn't suppress the second version and they were like oh yeah well you know you clarified what the video was about in the description and uh i'm sure this will be taken care of on appeal but uh and no we're not suppressing you right now and you know uh, they didn't really know but they were just putting out the party line so by the time i was done with that chat i felt better until i saw that the second version of the video had been taken down as well and uh and then the next day the appeal that i put through on the uh, through the automated uh service there uh was rejected with another form letter and that was the end of the process there's no more official process to get them to reconsider their decision um and i i'm guessing that no human being really considered the video after the appeal either um or it just seems unlikely to me that anyone sat down and watched the full like 20 minutes or 17 minutes of the video or or even the first five minutes um and and came to the conclusion that oh yeah this needs to be removed yeah so the picture here sort of looks like um you probably just got caught in some bureaucratic red tape that the system is kind of unaware and just doesn't care that it could potentially have a drastic impact on what you're doing at zero books and your you know own livelihood and that sort of stuff right this is one of those right because when you Go ahead. when you get a, a strike for like violating community standards on youtube it's a serious thing because if you do that a couple of times then you can just get completely removed from youtube and everything thrown away and you know, we we spent years trying to build up the platform to use it as a way to publicize our work, and it's actually even a source of revenue for the imprint, and not a big one. But um, 
so yeah, it's serious. It, it's and also I really enjoy making the videos. So uh, I I don't want to be thrown off YouTube for a glitch. Um, and right now we have a warning on the channel saying if we do this again, or interpret it differently, if the YouTube algorithm misinterprets what we're doing again we could easily just be shut down altogether. Well, I certainly have sympathy for you as someone who was recently put in Twitter jail for stating the true statement, allegedly, that uh, comedians all probably should all be shot in the face as a joke. Uh, parody, <laughs> allegedly, with asterisks around this a million times. But, um, you know, this is something that happens to me and my friends, and I'm sure people that listen to the show or other comics and stuff like that, is, uh, you know, I mean... Even I mean I'm fucking around here, but even like as a comic, what you're doing in theory is uh you know you're you're supposed to say stuff like that. You're supposed to be testing out you know ideas and things like that, and it yeah. very well can end up nuking your entire platform from time to time. I mean I think you know I probably use my web presence to you know to to, to get people to listen to this show. That has to, I'm on some level has to be part of our livelihood, and um, so these sorts of things just being like out in the wild west right now not you know the new sort of frontier uh what do you call it like wilderness um well we're not in the wild west anymore there's a new robot in town yeah i guess so yeah <laughs> there's a goddamn uh, sheriff robot here to yeah, yeah. we're on the what. giant spider from wild wild west yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious what the uh, staffer was like from YouTube. Were they like uh, genuinely curious as to what the content of the video was? Did they seem to have some sort of like sense of uh, purpose in their in their work, or were they just totally like a just agitated and did not could not care less? Uh, you know, it wasn't. They were perfectly nice. Uh, you know, I don't know who who they were particularly. They were like it was text on a screen. But um, like I used to work at Comcast back uh -huh. in the day, back in the like a decade ago, or uh, and and I I took com complaint calls sometimes. I was supposed to try to sell everybody who called in to complain about their service, a new service. It was a horrible job, but. Um, it was. It felt like talking to a, a representative at something like Comcast or anywhere else. <clears throat> they clearly had a script, but you know you can you can be a human being while you're doing that. And mm -hmm. this was a human being um, who was trying to do their best, but they weren't like saying things like, "Oh, tell me about who Christopher Lash was," or <laughs> or uh, so oh, you weren't uh, radicalizing them over over no. chat. <laughs> that, that that would have been my. Uh, uh, goal, of course, is always my goal as a rabid Marxist to radicalize everyone, like go to my kid's kindergarten class and try to get yeah. the teacher to listen to me. But um, no, that didn't happen. Um, but I did get the feeling that there were human beings working uh, for Google, for YouTube, and that that someone would look at it and, and you know, that, that I would win the appeal. And that was a false sense of security. Hmm. Um uh, I I wonder if a, if I was talking to a bot, <laughs> you know, it's possible yeah. I was, but uh, it 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 it's a uh, it's unclear. Um, but I, I hope I wouldn't be fooled. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's harder and harder to know these days with uh, you know, like deep fake technology and stuff like that. Eventually, they're going to be able to make you not realize that the person you're talking to is completely mechanical. And I think what they should do. Once we get that 
far deep fakes is when you call because your internet is out, it should just be Barack Obama's voice and he answers the <laughs> phone and, you know, guides you through not getting your shit fixed or whatever. But, um, but anyway, yeah, he could try to sell you TV. He could tell you, have you seen devs? Cause it's on Showtime or the hell it is. <laughs> yeah. He has, he has a lot of recommendations. Yeah, he does. Yeah, dude. I'm it sorry. Makes your me... line is not being clear. <laughs> it makes me so mad when he puts out those recommendations because I'm like, how did you watch more TV than me this year? What the fuck? I, I guess now well, he's retired, man. Yeah. You know, he does. What does he have to do? To fly <laughs> around on jet skis with billionaires and watch, you know, prestige TV and hang out at his it. compound. I I biked to his. Uh, I live in DC, so I, I went by his house, and it's like there's guards, and it's cordoned off at the corner of this like. It's in D.C., but it's just like very suburban block. It's it's very strange. It's like the Playboy Mansion or something. Really? Are there, are there celebrities going in and out? Uh, Probably, but they're they're all wearing disguises. Weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, eyes wide shut masks and shit like that, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Um, well, anyway, let's kind of uh, let's get into why this is important, because we didn't just decide to do a podcast about how... Uh, Douglas had a bad customer service experience. I think you uh, you have something kind of more. Uh, it's, you glean something from this, right? Like you wrote an essay yeah. about it. I thought was kind of interesting because this is something that we all kind of experience, and there are huge questions being thrown around in the discourse on on Twitter and between pundits and journalists and leftists and stuff like that regarding free speech. Uh, so it is kind of an interesting conversation. Let's get into it. You're mentioning this uh, lash character a lot. Why don't you tell me a little bit about this? Well, okay. Well, I'll go right to Christopher Lash and say that, you know, Christopher Lash uh, was a critic of kind of the progressive uh, movement of his time. That that the way that elites were, that the the left was being taken over by elites, and and who uh, the way the left embraced the idea that the role of of that their whole purpose should be to improve the lives of the masses mm-hmm. through state policy rather than, as had been the case, to help organize a, a, a movement for like working-class power to change society. So it was more about managing the problems of society, and that included regular people as problems so that you know, the state could solve. Um, and, but, but Lash also uh, thought that some of the better versions of this kind of politics were still worthy of being allies uh, in a socialist movement as long as they held to certain basic liberal values like for instance the freedom of speech and and free freedom to think and 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 develop um, ideas together that that core value of liberal democracy was something that these statist elites still were kind of the defenders of in 1969, and that therefore, if for no other reason, they were deserving of being allies. Um, uh, I would say that today that's no longer the case, um, uh, especially for people who want to develop an actual working class politics rather than who want to make sure that their favorite bureaucrat gets elected or um, who want to? Uh, whose primary concern is that the more humane version, or you know, capitalism with a human face, um, wins the day for another like week or month or four years or what have you? Um, 
So, so yeah, Christopher Lash is an important figure in the background here. It's sort of complicated to figure out exactly how or why, but he is a critic of uh, the kind of, of liberalism or radical liberalism that dominates a lot of the thinking of even the best leftists today. And that one of the reasons why we can embrace from time to time the actions of ma mega corporations and, and banks as if they are progressive uh, in, institutions in a, a deep sense, like they really represent progress, um, just because, you know, our reactionary enemies are also being hit um, by their uh, their machinations and their, their policies. So the thinking was that in this, like, pursuit of free inquiry in a liberal democracy that would lead to uh, more people being radicalized, as you were we were just yeah. discussing, like, just the fact that there were liberals in power who had this principle of free speech uh, that would allow more of a free exchange of ideas and that would expose people to to marxism and right uh, if you if you're living in a totalitarian state which won't allow you to to speak in, unless you speak the official lines then you're certainly not going to be able to develop a cr deep critique of the economic and political system and use that to organize working people to change it yeah that, that kind of it's, it's an interesting conversation because it's gone in circles throughout history um we talked about lenin uh like last week or two weeks ago on this episode and what he was writing about you know in the the prelude to the like 1905 revolution in, in russia and these conversations are um you know centuries old at this point um this all kind of reminds me of something that happened recently which is that there was a question of uh working with liberalism on in some sort of Jacobin headline that was the argument of the day on Twitter or whatever and it, it sort of goes to show you that it's uh, it's something that's like kind of the million dollar question. It hasn't really been solved yet and we're just at a new iteration of um, whether or not this thing can, you know, the, what the tactic is next. Like it's The important thing is we're all kind of on the same page in terms of theory but then like the, the next thing, the praxis, the tactic or whatever is up mm. for debate and um, I guess yeah, to sort of counter this lash idea of uh, you know you can work with liberalism or or something like we have right now where there's a broad space for free speech to exist and for ideas to flourish, um, being ultimately the you know the, the the fertile ground in which some sort of revolutionary idea will then you know come forth. Um, we can look at that and sort of go, well, no, I mean actually this is this is like a this is actually a really huge pitfall in itself. Um, capitalism existing often manifests; it, it often takes like the the teeth off of counter revolution, or uh, it takes the teeth off of revolutionary ideas. It sort of turns sure. revolutionary politics into capitalism. It sells you a Che Guevara T-shirt. It gives you like an AOC and we all wonder, is she going to be able to do anything that actually helps us? And then sometimes we get scared and go, maybe she's not, maybe, you know, maybe it's going to turn every, uh, democratic socialist style politician into an, a liberal eventually, you know? Um, mm. and I don't know the answer to this and I don't think anyone <laughs> on the internet certainly yeah. does right now. You know? Yeah. I mean, no, look, it's a really tough question and not just because they, they can sell us a revolution, as an image and, and, you know, get us to drink revolution soda or whatever. But, um, but also because uh, it's like 
from the beginning of the socialist project, at least in Marx's time, the, the idea was that capitalist development and bourgeois society would produce the conditions for its own abolition. Mm. And that, you know, the primary thing that it produced that would end up being the, the means by which the, the social form was uh, abolished was the working class. Yeah. That, 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 that is the thing that, that capitalism produces, uh, uh, you know, in, en masse. And that is, those are the people that uh, are being created, the kinds of people that are being created. And those are the subjects that are tasked with overcoming capitalism. Um, but <clears throat> you know, that, the truth is that the working class as a political force has suffered massive defeats historically that uh, in many ways, Marx was a pie-eyed optimist and um, we, we are, are stuck trying to figure out things that seem to be already solved back in the 19th century. Like how do we go from being a working class that's exploited to being a working class that has a political aim of transcending its own conditions. I mean, that seemed to be already on the table, firmly established in action in the second half of the 19th century. By the time you get out of the second world war, that whole point, that whole political movement has been crushed. And so, so now we're trying to pick up the remnants of, of, of that and re created or create a new version of it um and you know we're doing that within the context of a very contradictory and dysfunctional society like you know the free speech d debate the one of the things you often hear in in, uh, in opposition to people who are free speech absolutists like i try to be is like no, you know the free market doesn't create free speech and furthermore you know Political change doesn't really come out of just the invention of ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and the, both those objections are true. The free market is not a neutral mechanism for the sorting of the best ideas. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's also true that you can have a great idea in isolation, um, and it doesn't necessarily lead anywhere unless you are engaged in some sort of struggle and, sol and, engaged in, and have some sense of solidarity with other people. Um, which may at times feel like a bit of censorship to your free speech if you're the kind of person that likes to, you know, make edgy jokes or something. And, you know, so you have to sacrifice that in the name of solidarity with people. Uh, so there are like, you know, problems and contradictions around the, this, but it's pretty clear when it comes to major corporate entities collaborating with the state, the Institute, uh, political repression and censorship uh, at a time of crisis that we've got a big problem <laughs> and that the left shouldn't uh, embrace these entities even when they you know censor people who we figure are our political enemies um, our marginalized political enemies by the way um, but anyway um, yeah I mean go ahead on the pie-eyed optimist point like I spent a big chunk of 2019 most of 2019 just fantasizing about you know i, I drink a big glass of kratom and then just fantasize about jeremy corbyn and bernie sanders taking power and together and God. through you know our our two uh lefts so the, tra the transatlantic left would be forming just a new global economy and and working through that would i think edge have 
the way I imagined it would would be educating people as to how capitalism functions, what it is, and and uh, establishing a grounding to really uh, create a new type of society, and that came crumbling down, you know, and uh, right. <laughs> it's, been, it's been tragic, yeah. and we're trying yeah. to regroup, uh, and it's just hard to know what to do. But but like, yeah, I think the key is really um, getting people to think beyond capitalism. But like you said, that's not something that's going to come from just uh, the right argument, the right you know, well, podcast. Right. I mean, that's part of it, but it really comes from organization and, and structures that are actually engaging with, with people in various ways and, uh, you know, building towards actually contesting power again. Let me, let me connect some dots here. I think, I think I'm starting to get a picture of what we're talking about. So Lash kind of had this idea that uh, you could work alongside the more liberal side of the left, the center left, uh, in order to you know, breed more radicalism that'll sort of get us to where we need to go, right? And then we're sort of looking at that and going, well, especially the moment we're at here at the end of 2020 with this year, you know, being the death of the Bernie campaign and, you know, things, the electoral route altogether kind of being in question, we sort of uh, kind of look at all this and go, you know, okay, like, no, maybe, maybe coexisting with the center is entirely the problem. Maybe that's, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's not true. And also, I don't know. I mean, I guess I still have Lenin on the brain because I was reading him a couple weeks ago for the show or whatever. But you look at the Russian Revolution and you go, well, though that happened underneath the czar, you know, so that is an example of maybe how um, revolutionary thought can exist alongside repression. Uh, in fact, it has to because, you know, I don't know. This is maybe a circular argument. But um, th- this question, this thing he says where he sort of makes this assertion that uh, that Marxist praxis can't happen in a, during repression while like repression exists. Um, it's kind of interesting. And I guess I'm going to kind of posit that like, no, it has to exist alongside repression, but that's neither here nor there. Second part uh, that I kind of wanted to draw into this is so in your essay and your video essay, which will both be tagged in the uh, show notes here, we sort of draw this, distinction between 1930s socialists and modern socialists where in the 1930s like you were saying the working class was the subject of socialism it was the subject and the object was you know that the goal was to abolish your own class if you were part of the working class modern right. socialism yeah. conceives of the working class as the object the end goal like the economists we talked about um in that previous episode that i keep referencing um but when you think about the working class as the object, as the end goal, it sort of overlaps and enmeshes with this thing that capitalism does where it creates problems in order to sell you solutions to them. And then you find yourself in the internet and you're, you know, arguing with a robot over whether your YouTube channel can be, you know, kept up or not. And this is all the framework of, YouTube, a sort of private organization, ultimately, that works alongside the state, who has a goal that, and this is where I think me and you might argue about this, is its is its goal, I, to me, it's a private company, so its goal is just its own bullshit, but um, you know, we can argue that, well, maybe there's a better way to regulate it to where f- something known as free speech, something more like objective, can kind of exist 
and then we're all able to you know to coordinate on it or um or yeah i don't know i guess my question here is, is that i mean possible? obviously i don't think that these corporations are ever going to embrace free speech on their own and obviously some sort of intervention from uh political movement would be necessary to to change the character of these like google or facebook or what have you but i, I want to point out something important about what Lash thought about radical liberalism, like one, one of, yeah, the, what he what he was talking about was not like the center of the Democratic Party, but what had but what had emerged out of the failure of the left. Um, so, the radical liberals of like Arnold Kaufman and Michael Harrington is who he was describing, and that Michael Harrington is like founded the DSA. Um, so, you know, he was recognizing the way the socialist movement had been defeated as early, even before the 1930s, you know, shortly after the Bolshevik Revolution, the Socialist Party of America split up and fragmented into a dozen different parts. Um, and so he was analyzing like early 20th century, late 19th century, early 20th century socialism in America in a book called The Agony of the American Left. And then... He was at the time, 1969, saying, what do we do now? Who do we, where are the promising trends? And one of them was maybe Michael Harrington's uh, movement for democratic socialism, even though it was obviously insufficient, even though it was a, a, a product of defeat. It was like, well, despite all these difficulties, we can still consider this kind of movement to be allied with a, 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 a developing socialism or a socialism that might be developed um, because of its embrace of core liberal values like free expression, but not just free expression. Um, <clears throat> and that those values would actually be in opposition to the progressivist values of, kind of mass control and manipulation and bureaucratic oversight, um, which was another, uh, you know, w within the spectrum of American politics can you know, kind of left politics. Um, that, that, that's, uh, not, that doesn't represent the views of the social conservatives or the, or the right. Um, the, but the, but he saw those people as being far worse than the radical liberals who still held to some liberal, truly liberal values, meaning, you know, free, the free individual and free expression and development of people and the, and the development of the subjectivity of everyday citizens and then also of the working class. Yeah. I mean, that sort of takes me back to, you know, in the video, you talk about uh, Daniel Bell a little bit. Um, yeah. And he is in some ways sort of the first end of history in the fifties uh, right. with the, the end of ideology, I think was his, his book. And with that, it, with that one, it was like, you know, it's not just, free market capitalism, it's this you know, sort of New Deal uh, social democracy. And, and, you know, we've just had the secret speech from Khrushchev. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, the Soviet Union's a problem. But uh, we can synthesize the best of both things with the, the liberal rights and the, the sort of ec economic safety net. Um, but then what, what happened with the rest of the the 20th century is you end on a uh, no. We just needed one of those. We just needed the liberal rights and the and the democracy, uh, and not so much the economic stuff. Uh, 
Right. And and not so much a a, pow, a, a, a powerful working class movement that would confront the institutions of capitalist authority. I mean, um, so it's like we might have economic reforms. We might pass like a, a policy for a minimum wage, uh, for instance. Yeah. Um, but you wouldn't have a developing militant working class movement that had its own political uh, own aim to take political power <clears throat> one way or the other, whether it's through the you know elections or through revolution. Um, both those ideas were sort of dead. Uh, and Bell was like one of the first people to articulate the death of that idea. When he talks about the death of ideology, he's talking about the death of like Eugene Debs' conception of socialism, the death of the idea that, that there would be a radical transformation of society that would be created, that that transformation would be the work of the workers to change their own conditions. Um, that whole notion had sort of passed away uh, uh, before Bell wrote his book in the 50s. Right. I guess my question is, so how does this all tie back to this ever-present question of free speech on the internet, the internet being uh, regulated just by virtue of the fact that we're using these platforms that are inherently privately run and to some extent are you know, arms of the state and they're interacting with it. Well, I guess the way I think of it is maybe simplistic, but it's, it goes like this. You, um, the reason that I, what I'm, I would be advocating for is that the people who consider themselves to be part of the left embrace the value of free speech to the, to the best of their ability, uh, because they do not, they, they would be giving up the idea that their aim should be to regulate regular people's lives and to manage society so that it is safe or humane. That that the, that you would be giving up the idea that the system as it is now can be made to be those things. That you that you would you would be accepting the inhumanity of the system you're in, and therefore you'd be saying we need the freedom to develop a, a new project. And so our goal shouldn't shouldn't be to, you know, uh, take the power structure that is and implement it better, but rather to develop a new power, and that that requires having the space and freedom to do so. So there would be a complete change in the perspective. I think of a lot of people who are on the left, including myself, from time to time, um, away from the idea that you know what we need to do is pass the right kinds of policies to make sure people don't behave badly to each other. Like, you know, this emphasis, this emphasis on bullying is like an example of the, uh, the way the left thinks like we need to stamp out bullying, which means we need to target everyday individuals and modify uh, the institutions so that that kind of, so that bad behavior isn't possible amongst the, the masses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, beyond being like, um, well, I mean, that's like a silly idea in many ways. One way is beyond being just entirely subjective, like what is bullying and is it only bullying when it happens in one direction or not? The scope of that project is insane. Like you've seen this new thing that Twitter is apparently going to roll out where it's going to attempt to humanize a person before you respond to them. And like, I guess the plan for it, there's like a Mashable article about this that came out this week. Right. The, the plan is that when you're in like a comment thread that's a million 
tweets long it sort of understands people might be fighting so it stops and goes you know before you respond to anders did you know that him and you both enjoy pepsi you know and then <laughs> it's supposed you to both st- watch you, you you both like the, the good place you know <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> like that, that was baby picture <laughs> that that is like yeah. some sort of technocratic solution would solve this phenomenon of people disagreeing each other with each other on the internet is obviously fucking bananas but uh <laughs> i I, th- I guess i kind of look at this and i think um I, I, I tend to get into it a little bit with like free speech warriors online, like people that are really kind of focused on that idea because I think I'm a little bit of a free speech doesn't actually exist kind of person. Like there's no zero line, but I understand that what we have is um, communication that we want to not have stifled because it is for the greater good. And then I think that, you know, the right has what they think is essentially the same thing, a goal, you know, and things that need to be protected. And obviously because these, uh, the platforms are run by corporations, they have their own interest and they will censor anything that is ostensibly a threat to them. Um, and I guess I don't really believe that there's like a neutral ground that could exist. I don't think there's a Twitter that you could exist that is, you know, actually, quote unquote, free in terms of speech and that, you know, it allows people to to say whatever they want. I'm kind of sympathetic to these fucking MAGA psychos who decided they were all going to go move to something called Parler after they got frustrated with Facebook. I kind of look at that and I go, is that where we go? Do we just make our own fucking platform? I don't know. What do you think? Well, my goal is to get uh, banned and kicked off of Parler. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I totally agree that there is no such thing as free speech in the abstract and that the value itself is one which is always sort of in development and it can never be, you know, fully actualized in this perfect way. The uh, Like, for example, um, I, I recognize the fact that YouTube and Google have to have a way to moderate content that they can't simply just let anything go up on YouTube that for a variety of reasons, some of them just practical. Like they, if they allowed everything, all sorts of pornography, let's just say they let everything within the bounds of law go up on, on YouTube. They wouldn't be able to be a useful platform because I would go to YouTube and say, you know, how do I fix my kitchen sink? And I'd get a pornography video about a plumber. Um, you, know, you, you you don't you, you want to be able to like know that this particular platform will give you a certain kind of uh, content and that you're not going to get uh, you know that it has a character and which means curating the content um, and uh, so I am I, I am actually sympathetic to the to the contradiction that the, the company is facing, which is on the one hand, we want to get as many people uploading and participating on the platform as possible. And we want to moderate it. And we also want to uh, uh, get rid of, you know, really hateful things or illegal things. And we can't employ enough people to do it with human beings. So we have to develop robots to do it because they just there's you're encouraging such a massive amount of uploads that they don't have the capacity to hire people to watch every video just would be it's just impossible so they're kind of stuck in a practical problem um 
what I would say is that if there, that some sort of like YouTubers union should be formed so that people that just if you look at the practical problems for people creating content on that platform, like, you know, if you're on YouTube and you you're creating content on a level where you have thousands of people watching, you shouldn't be able to be taken down uh, any more easily than you could be fired. <clears throat> you know, like that, at that point, it's not such you're not just one of them a million different uploaders you're someone who's producing a real real channel and real revenue stream for the company so you then at least deserve to actually talk to a human being talk to a human being uh who has the power to decide before these things uh happen i think that would be like a practical solution for my problem but then the other larger point i was making is that uh which is sort of an ideological point which is that the left needs to understand its mission to be about thinking past the current moment, which m would mean embracing the idea that we can't simply enforce the values we already have ready to hand, but have to be critical even of those, which means aligning with the, the value of free speech, even if you don't think it's realized in the current society, especially because it isn't realized in the current society, especially because people who are poor or uh, who are ethnic minorities or, or what have you are less likely to be heard. And I'll tell you something. I know this uh, as a fact uh, because I've seen on YouTube <laughs> when I interview black workers who are activists, uh, they, the, the views go down. <laughs> There's something really? going on there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Um, and that maybe it's I don't know what's going on. But, well, I mean, um, YouTube exactly. shows you like uh, Hitler videos as suggested videos after every video you watch, so it's probably inherently just a racist <laughs> robot on some level. Right, right, yeah. But I know that there are like systemic blocks to getting your ideas out, it, just if you're like black, um, and you know, let alone if you're if you are working class and. And, and and black say you've got a lot you know there's not a level playing field the free speech doesn't mean that there's a late the championing free speech doesn't mean believing that there's a level playing field so yeah would you join a like a union with you know uh sargon of Akkad and alex jones and like you know everybody yeah would, would, yeah yeah <clears throat> sure if the uh, you know i wouldn't join a political party with them <laughs> right <clears throat> yeah, but I would join a, a YouTubers union if fighting for specific uh, demands. Sure. Yeah, actually, I mean, I guess the the concept of like a YouTubers union or something like that does actually kind of make a lot of sense here because my immediate thought when talking about this sort of stuff is like, you know, you you ask this question: how do we how do we fix this problem where YouTube has overextended itself with having to create a robot to go around and use an algorithm to do all this work of censoring and, you know, trying to make sure the right things get uploaded and you go, well, it's impossible because there's not enough employees. Right. But in a utopian sense, there are enough employees. They're just not assigned to like this job. I mean, we have, you know, get rid of the military, get rid of all sorts of superfluous shit that exists in capitalism. And then you might have enough people to where like everyone whose job this is has a small amount of the internet to sort of work as a moderator for. 
Uh, I don't know if that may even makes sense numbers wise, but like I, my my immediate idea here is oh utopia. Like there's a way to fix YouTube to make it sort of run by us and for us and all this stuff. But obviously, I mean, I'm thinking in a utopian sense, and it's something like a union is actually probably more how you would get there. I guess that's the missing dots in the middle. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think I think if you're a monetized YouTube channel, like if you created enough videos and to get enough subscribers to get paid by YouTube, um, you're in the top like ten to five. You know, I don't. Know, you're in the top ten percent, let's say, of <clears throat> of YouTubers, which means that the kind, the amount of content that actually has to be uh, regulated by human employees is not the billions and billions of hours that are uploaded each day but 10 percent of that so let's say and then really only a small percentage of that that is flagged by the algorithm so we're not talking about an unmanageable feat at, at that level if you kind of winnow it down it's only if yeah. you uh make the absurd claim that they have to watch every single video that it becomes impossible um if like if you can automate some things and then treat other things uh with you know be be more engaged with other things and i think that would make sense and but like now we're like i feel like we're having our first youtube union meeting like what kind of demands <laughs> should we really reasonably make and yeah can be free. yeah well the, another thing i've thought about too is with social media like i mean you know parlor is something started by the idw i guess but well, what about a a leftist facebook or, or twitter or, or a social media site is, is that marginalizing ourselves all, or is it they're all know. leftists already they're all owned by the globalists <laughs> oh yeah our other guests finally spoken up 45 <laughs> minutes into the podcast <laughs> uh no uh yeah i think that would be you know the problem is uh the left doesn't have the resources to to do it as easily as these right-wing forces like real leftists that are, and also we're too busy splitting into smaller and smaller sectarian parties. How can we right. get it together? But um, yeah, I think uh, uh, those kinds of projects would be useful as well. Um, oh like man, all the Spartacist League would take it over and like <laughs> yeah, spam right. everything about North Korea like, immediately. Yeah, I would join that. I'd be on the Spartacist yeah. version of Twitter, and then you know. <laughs> Or some Maoist version of Twitter, where every single day it just looks like regular Twitter, um, <laughs> just struggle session after struggle session. Um, yeah, no, uh, I, but I think that the, we're going to have to contest the spaces that exist, the real powers that exist as well. And I yeah. uh, and there's sort of this entrepreneurial approach, like, oh, we'll just create another company, and you know, if it gets yeah. to be successful, we'll run into the same problems. Um, that these original companies did is these are not the problems of Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey. These are the problems of these sorts of institutions in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. To round out a couple of things uh, going on on the internet while we're still on the topic of, you know, free speech online. Um, let's talk a little bit about, sorry, Anders, you just told me something interesting about the Twitch platform. <laughs> yes. Uh, according to Twitch's Twitter account, they have, uh, Banned the use of the N word ending in a hard R. Just and they will automatically block the word across Twitch, including in chat. I don't know if this will will be funny if I mention this, but when you said it before we started recording, I heard you saying 
You can't use the N word with a hard on. Right. And, you can't. Uh, you can't take any pleasure from it. You can't get, right. There are people who say slurs and are sexually aroused, but yeah, I but, mean, but this you, you meant it was hard R, and I heard it. Right. I, I guess you know, uh, sexually frustrated, and and my mind goes in a certain direction. But anyway, yeah. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> to, uh, to, no kink shaming here on this podcast. I yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Whatever. For God's sake. But you, probably probably keep that off the internet if that's your thing, um, <laughs> or at least keep it off your Twitch stream, right? Because there's kids on yeah. there. No, look, I definitely won't be whipping it out during any Zoom calls. Uh, you know, with with cnn or with you guys actually I, I, <laughs> well i appreciate that your uh, zoom <laughs> camera is off right now because yeah i muted yeah. my camera so <laughs> i'm really doing yeah i like to have a hard on also, yeah. and say a, with a soft day though because i you know i'm not racist <laughs> i'm just appropriative um twitch is like a, a kind of a funny platform for talking about all this sort of stuff because because twitch has its own scene and its own audience and its own like group of people who I upload to it. I found out recently because I started doing a Twitch or I, I guessed it on our friends, the Antifada's Twitch stream. And I sort of decided I should learn the ropes since I think we're going to start Twitch streaming soon because we have to, cause that's where the money is. Um, you're not allowed to call someone a virgin on Twitch or use the term incel. And I thought that was so funny, but then I thought about it and I was like, Oh, that's yeah, that's their fucking robot over there is like being asked to clear, clear to stop all these fights between people who are calling each other like virgins and shit. Cause it's all gamers. It's all these like teenagers and shit. And apparently that's the stuff that makes people really, really mad at each other. So it's, it's going to be kind of hard for me. I think when I start Twitch streaming, because, uh, that's hilarious i don't know what do you mean you can't call someone a virgin can we have a sidebar like a just a like a you know content creator to content creator conversation about twitch for just a second i know that that's probably uh not kosher but but how the hell do you do twitch i've tried i like we created a twitch channel but i just don't understand how you could do the 10 to 12 hours a day of streaming to get the that platform to work for you it just seems like I don't know. It would kill me to try to be a Twitch streamer. What What are you planning on doing? Are you to just play Minecraft all day? What 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 do you do? Well, personally, I'm a, like I I find it daunting. I don't understand how the people do that do it all day do it. But I think um, I do like video games, and I think I could probably do an hour a day the same day, like five days a week, if I knew I was getting paid for it. The problem I have with that is that. I like playing video games for fun, and as soon as you take something that's fun and turn it into work, it's very sad. But so, are, are the Antifada are they playing a game online? Are they I Twitch believe they streaming? are. I, I know Sean likes uh, with the Civilization game, something like that. He he plays. Okay, so Sean is like a big history nerd, and he, if if you asked, I think him about Civilization, he would laugh at you. The way you know, if you're into metal and someone goes, "Do you nah. like Metallica?" They go, oh, ho, ho, "Oh no, there's all this other." shit so he plays some fucking history game called like european union or something that i it goes into like trading in like the fucking early you know whatever renaissance it's period. brexit negotiations of the game it's insane i don't understand it at all <laughs> he plays it all day and then i think andy See, plays a, chess 
as a Gen Xer, because you guys are clearly millennials, uh, uh, but as a Gen- I'm Gen Z, actually. Are uh, you Gen Z? Oh, okay. No, I'm not. <laughs> That's great. So, uh, <laughs> well, you look, you know, you could. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Y. I'm millennial. Yeah. So, as a Gen Xer, I have a difficulty thinking about playing like I don't know, Mist for an hour a day, or like, you know, <laughs> Pac Man or Donkey Kong for that long. Um, and and the new games, you know, I, uh, I I kind of am aware that they exist. My kid, here's something like here's my relationship with video gaming. My uh, 18 year old son, I was in senior year of high school, is like waking me up at 5 a.m. We got to get online right now. The PlayStation Five is on sale at Walmart. Click, hurry, hurry, <laughs> click. PlayStation Five. Oh, it's over here on at uh, I don't know at some some they're selling it directly. Um, and then you, so my whole like, it's basically tickle me Elmo the video game, um, and it's hell on earth. I, I I hate PlayStation. I don't like video games anymore. Uh, I want to sleep. But uh, <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that you know what a video game is is still strange to me. That a dad would know that. Like I remember my having to explain to my dad that you you have to buy games for a console. You can't just like give me the console and like play anything oh, yeah. it's, you well, need to put a game in there well like, i had an i had a atari or actually my friends had an atari when i was 10 or so i i remember pitfall you guys ever played pitfall yeah, yeah. pitfall yeah i would put that on computer when i was yeah on <laughs> pc here's here's the so thing we're, we're, we're doing ready player one on this okay go ahead <laughs> well if you hate video games People also like to watch that happen. So you could theoretically Twitch stream because it's a big popular genre on streaming is like a person getting really frustrated with what they're playing. I think there's (laughs) entertainment value in that. That's what PewDiePie was when he first started, I think. I remember years before he was ever famous, somebody going, you got to watch this Swedish guy. He just gets angry at like, you know, fucking MS paint video game and it's like pretty funny <laughs> so i don't know i don't know there's there's things you also don't have to play I think games this, this is clearly the way to propagandize the youth is to play video games and talk about Karl marx at the same time i'll i, I will yeah. figure it out <laughs> i'm thinking we might do that we did one god i was wiped we did two hours and that that wiped me but uh i think either tomorrow maybe monday early this week i might do a like a football uh, live Twitch stream with somebody. There you go. It might be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's fucking weird. I don't understand it. It's Zoomer shit, but apparently it's the future. So I think we better all strap in and figure it out. Um, <laughs> so look up, look forward to our upcoming Twitch channel where I'll be playing uh, Lego Harry Potter and talking about whatever I read that week. But uh, right. before we get bogged down in Twitch, let's talk a little bit about this. Julius Julian Assange thing. Um, did he get pardoned or not? I heard it was happening the other day, and then I heard nothing happened. It was it was fake news. Uh, it was erroneously reported by uh, some Fox News talking head. Um, I hope he gets pardoned. You know that would that would own the libs, and that's what our president is want to do. <laughs> our president for the next month, anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about this because like there was a period about 10 or so years ago where that was like the left, you know, to, to me anyway, as a you know 20 year old kid in St. Paul, just Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. That was such a revolutionary thing. And that was kind of uh, 
the closest thing to like any sort of organization to even have solidarity with, you know, was was just supporting WikiLeaks and what they were doing. You know, th- those that felt like they were the only people doing stuff. Of course, people were organizing in all sorts of ways, but like that was the front and center, like media attention thing. And I think at a certain point, it just became less of a priority for uh, a lot of millennial leftists. And a lot of that just has to do with Julian Assange, the guy and the various things that he was credibly accused of and should answer for. But um, that kind of, I think, made us lose sight of the importance of this issue, you know, because this has huge ramifications for, I mean, you can call it free speech, but really journalism. For dissent in 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 the empire, actually questioning. The, the and very exposing. first time I got canceled on Twitter, it was about Julian Assange. Oh yeah, and I was uh, I was saying, look, we can't uh, take these allegations seriously when they're so clearly politically motivated, and that um, yeah, and I got I got uh, I guess the term is ratioed, um, and and <laughs> when also, was this? and this is like I don't know, God, it was a long time ago now. It was like like 2008 maybe 2009 it was a while ago um okay but, wow. uh, Early. uh i ended up like someone who ended up being like the editor of science fiction um reviews for publishers weekly got me in a conversation with one of these r- rad lib feminist journalists blue check mark types before the blue check marks existed and like i realized that i had handled myself so poorly in the exchange and looked like such a brocheless shitlord mansplainer that uh, i was probably never going to have any of my work because i write science fiction novels as well <laughs> never gonna have any of my work published uh, or, or reviewed well in publishers weekly again and so um yeah it was the first time i recognized that oh hey uh if you take the wrong position on some of these things, it can have career implications. And of course, ever since then, I've done nothing but try to take the wrong position because <laughs> I'm self-destructive, I guess. Yeah. You gotta lean in, yeah. Well, you know, eventually <laughs> everyone on Twitter gets canceled and then the playing field is sort of leveled all over again. Uh, yeah, I mean, back then it was like a revelation that, oh, you know, People in authority and, and can matter to your career are like watching what you say on Twitter. I was like, oh shit. Uh, and I'm arguing with them. Oh, that's maybe not the best. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But now, it, but there's also the, uh, the it, I feel like it's a double edged sword. You know, if you make your brand just shit talking as many people as possible, then that's that they can also be lucrative. Yeah. Know? But who wants to do that? I mean, I guess there's a people who have nothing else to do, but yeah. need the money, but I can't imagine. I mean, I guess sometimes we get accused, zero books get gets accused of being contrarian or that kind of thing. But no, I, the, the fucking, the, the anti-social justice warrior industry sucks and it's boring. And I, I, uh, I hate it. I hate it as just as much as the, Twitter mobs. So yeah, right. I, I kind of think that what we're experiencing right now is going to work itself out on like a long timeline in the same way that like in my lifetime, tattoos used to be a thing that you couldn't ca- get a job if you had. And it 
an entire generation just came up that all had tattoos and then everyone had to go, well, I guess I have to hire someone. So this entire thing is rendered kind of moot. And that isn't a fun thing to think about because that really just puts the job into father time's hands and not in our own. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I can- my, my wife started tattoos like two years ago and she's, you know, we're both in our late forties now. So <laughs> clearly tattoos are no longer, uh, you know, a signifier of some sort of edginess. It's sort of like, <laughs> she likes cat emojis and tattoos. So Here, here's kind of my ear, ear pierced at 26. <laughs> there you go. That's the body. <laughs> oh man, that's edgy, dude. You're going to, you need to be careful. How else are you going to get a job, Anders? I don't know. God, uh, I'm, lucky. <laughs> I'm lucky I work for, Oh fuck. I was, I meant to bring this up earlier, but when we're talking about, um, you know, censorship and, and just sort of soft censorship, Right. Uh, the, the information tags of, you know, uh, certified election results, say otherwise, Mr. President, that type of thing. Uh, my other job is for Russian state media, RT and uh, Twitter and I believe YouTube um, make it so it says this is a Russian operation. It's Wait Russian. Hold on, hold on. What? You, you work for Putin? Are you yes. telling me that the, I'm. Yeah. Oh my God! Now I'm being I'm going to be canceled two different ways. I on this freaking Putin podcast, well, and a- I had the wrong opinion about Julian Assange's rape allegations. Just denounce, denounce me, and then then it'll All be right, easy. I or you can you. say what there's some Biden official who went on RT and then later was like, I didn't know it was Russian. I apologize. <laughs> uh, but they say they have, um, you know, it says this is Russian funded media. Which fair enough, but they don't say that for the BBC. They don't say that for France Twenty Four or Voice of America or any of the other state media that's allied with the United States or is the United States Western uh, media, CBC Canada. That that they don't feel hmm. the need to. I, I, I think Facebook might sometimes say like the BBC is state owned or things like that, but it should certainly be consistent. You know? Yeah, but they. I do think that they are allowed to say that Putin is bad. As well, when say this I'm, is Russian-owned media, and Putin is evil, and don't listen to this. And by the way, I'm allowed to say you. that too. I can, you know, <laughs> like we're allowed to say whatever we want about sure, Putin. Just, I don't, I don't, don't love him. Anything. I, I think he's <laughs> okay, very bad ahead. in many ways. Yeah, I'm kidding around. I, uh, I think I remember Abby Martin at one point sort of talking about this and saying that, like, yeah, there's certain stuff you can't say on RT when she goes on, and there's a lot of stuff you can't say on uh american media you know american corporate media that is american state media and she just sort of went that's why i go on both you know because that's true of both things no like i would totally go on rt uh uh, you know like and i'd take a show if someone offered me to do a show on rt for zero books like i'd do it in a heartbeat and then i would just laugh and love every moment of the hate that i got from (laughs) so i um I'm not really allergic to RT, although I do think that the mission of RT is not progressive, but just to make the all the problems and contradictions within the United States obvious and to yeah. kind of uh, you know move along the dis- dissolution of the the superpower. Right, it's um, to get Americans to question American hegemony, which is you know has certain. I don't. I don't agree with all of the agenda, right? But I. But I should add, I'm in control of what I say, and and right. Uh, as far as I know, they they don't censor people. But they, but they um, put Richard Spencer on well before uh, anyone in America did, 
And they also put Noam Chomsky on and Christopher Hedges and just anybody who was kind of a dissident. And it didn't matter what their politics were, really. It's just like every contradiction in American society, RT wanted to highlight it for everybody. And, you know, I understand we are the great imperialist pig dogs deserve to be taken down by our communist overlords. (laughs) Um, Well, with that, let's uh, sort of round this out. Come to a sort of hypothesis regarding this uh, entire story and discussion here, because you know we started with talking about um, this possible censorship that you're experiencing, and sort of got into the theoretical implications of it. Um, I don't know what's your what's your takeaway from all this. One of the main things that I try to say in different ways and explore, hopefully even uh, through the work that we publish, especially it's like podcasts and YouTube videos, is this idea that. Uh, the American left and maybe even the Anglo left has to break from the establishment liberal uh, version of the left because we have to embrace the idea of liberating working people and trying to develop a new kind of power in the world rather than take it upon ourselves to be the new regulators to be the new bureaucrats to 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 try to piece by piece in a fragmented way fix every problem maybe even one person at a time so um one of the the things that i hope will come out of the this moment is uh that it will underscore just how uh the powers that come from the big tech community that seem to be woke maybe or progressive can easily be turned against the actual left and that the the people need to understand that these institutions and these uh, bureaucrats are not our friends and they are in fact our political enemies. Right. And that's the main thing that I would put forward as kind of my ideological perspective. And I hope hopefully one of the things that's being revealed at this moment as Biden takes power is that, you know, the, the big problems are not going away and the institutions are still there and, uh, we have to fight them uh, and and develop something else. Yeah. You know, this comes up a lot. and <laughs> It comes up a, a lot. It comes out of the mouths of some of those anti-social, uh, you know, media warriors you were talking about earlier. And it's always so frustrating because I, I always look at it and I go, ah, the worst person you know just made a great point. It's still a great point. <laughs> um, <laughs> this thing where you were talking specifically about the bureaucracy uh, that's behind all this censorship is, you know, it is true. There's also a George Carlin quote that gets brought up all the time. And George Carlin said a lot of things that weren't just this, but he did say that, you know, PC culture is fascism with a prettier whatever on the outside of it. I can't remember the exact quote or whatever. Um, He did say that and he was making a point about this, which is that, um, yeah, this is a, this is a weapon that might be conveniently aimed at your cultural and political enemies right now but it very well could be swung back around in your own face and that in itself i do not disagree with at all and so that question hangs in the air and causes us to you know to to need to answer it to figure out what's uh what do we do about this i don't know um but with that go ahead tough go ahead you go ahead um no no you 
<laughs> right yeah because i don't know how to fucking answer it either <laughs> um well i think it's kind of like the state too you know like a a censorship law right who you know we could say oh they're yeah they're outlawing the n-word that's that's great you know i i don't think white people should say the n-word you know but if it's a, a law that's cracking down on people's speech uh, even if the the stated reason may be for you know uh stifling bigotry or the or the right the way it's going to end up working just usually just based on who's in control of the society is uh stifling speech that's actually questioning the the status quo and and coming from the left you know like that's ultimately gonna gonna backfire that but i think part of the solution is like we don't have to you don't have to demand uh that people be censored but you also don't have to engage with them you know there's no point in arguing with say amy therese it's it's a waste of time like you don't have to give these people the time of day who are you know the just sort of the provocateurs or or the the edgelords like uh uh, it, it can be kind of a self-regulating thing, I guess, is the closest thing I have to a solution. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to stop myself uh, before I sort of argue in circles because, I mean, I, if I didn't really kind of make my point of view on this known, that it would be kind of betraying what, you know, it is to have a podcast. And, uh, and you know, I, I definitely like to explore all sides of this and stuff, and I don't think I know all the answers to this. But I do get a little frustrated with people who take the point of view of uh, the censored or take the, you know, cast themselves in the role of it when what's happening to them is uh, not really that in the at least the classical sense. I mean, a lot of people talk about losing jobs over things they've said on Twitter, and I sort of look at it and go, did you ever have the job to begin with in this capitalist system? I mean, maybe you had it before, and you know, this method of communication allowed a thing to happen that was already poised to happen, and to me, it calls into question the validity of the entire platform or, you know, or the fucking entire thing known as capitalism that this is all operating under. Maybe that's the fucking problem, you know? Um, but I do think it is interesting to raise the question of like, well, can we do something from the ground up about these platforms that sort of, you know, assuages all this and prevents some of these things from, uh, from stop stopping us from organizing and things like that, whether organizing towards you know the betterment of the working class or the the you know the 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 subject object thing the the entire fucking goal you know right well i think these uh platforms are utilities you know and and would they should be expropriated is is my view and and the way to make these decisions is i think uh democratically and not you know from the the higher up whether it's a private or, or a, a private bureaucrat or a, a state censor it's, it's the people who use these platforms should control them yeah i think that's so kind of where i land let's nationalize what's the, the deal platforms. with amy therese i have to ask like, what's going on because <laughs> I, I, oh, I, 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 I i knew her when she was on the dead pundit society i've actually interviewed her once um and then i sort of i she started her own podcast and i found it to be um unlistenable it wasn't so much I was offended, um, and so I just couldn't really stick with it. And then uh, apparently she's become I – I, I guess she's kind of cute, although I've never really seen a picture of her. So there's a lot of people on on Twitter who follow her, and uh, uh, she says a lot of shitty things or some – she says a lot of stuff. I mean she attacked me out of nowhere for no reason, and I – 
said something. She said, um, bread tube was the, was the big, the biggest mistake. And I said, that's funny. Cause your mom said you were, uh, <laughs> and, oh, nice. and that got her roasted and that, and that got her like, I got, I feel like I got her respect that way. And then we were like piling <laughs> around that. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> well, so I don't know what's going on with her. I mean, you just well, a- I mean, asked another unanswerable question, man. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows. And also, do you think that is she right wing? Is that what everyone's consensus is? Or I don't is think it. I, I, it doesn't. I don't or? think it really matters, honestly. I think it's a waste of time and energy to even engage with her. Is where I've yeah, but I've it's come gossip, down on it. and I, I know her. <laughs> well, it's it's the, and this isn't just about her. This is about. Mostly Twitter, also about but- the Red Scare podcasters, and no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no we just tripped so there's... many algorithms. All those people yeah. are be <laughs> visiting our page right now. <laughs> I think social media has induced this tendency to uh, to psychoanalyze people based on their posts, which I think you can do to a small extent. But the way that someone like her, and there's a lot of people like this, do it, it just gets ridiculous. And it becomes, you know, a, a matter of, of ideology. You know, this person uh, posted this thing in, in 2017, and apparently they hung out with this person. That means that this is their ulterior motive. And blood. like, it's just like trying to deep to, to dive deep into the psyches of people and tell them more about themselves than they know based on their tweets. It's just like a very navel gazy just yeah, if you're going to do it, you get paid paid to do it, you know. I mean that's by the hour. That's the thing. Uh I'm going to go ahead and do exactly what Anders just condemned. But I'm going to psychoanalyze <laughs> someone on the internet based on their tweets. Um I oh, cool. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot cuz there's people that are like extremely online and they're extremely anti-woke and they sort of seem to just get up every day and just go all right I'm going to go back to you know yelling at this thing on Twitter and quote tweeting and stuff like that and and it's all but it's all laundered through the premise that they're these passionate communists you know and then you you go well, what organizing work are you doing outside of this right and uh People often accuse me of this, and I go, well, I'm just part of my job. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I can justify it on some level, although, sure, it's also internet addiction, you know? But, I mean, it's, on some level, it's advertising our podcast. With uh, people that are just accounts, I think I think what's going on here, especially with the anti-woke stuff, is a lot of times, if you do some digging, these people were like reactionaries out in the open 10 years ago or something. And then what happened is a new thing to launder this anxiety and resentment towards specific people that fall under the umbrella of woke appeared and it made it, you know, they get rewarded for it by, cause people, cause people from the left are also pissed off at, at uh, um, you know, identity politics being weaponized and used very cynically and stuff like that. And so I think with these people, the thing to look out for is that they have the same target every time they tweet, but the, the, middle part the means to attack that target are always wildly different like they're reaching for different tools in the in the in the rhetorical toolkit every time they attack whatever the fuck this thing known as wokeness is and to me that spells out an, a consistency in what you have a resentment about but an inconsistency in your overall ideology of like why you're mad at it and to me that just looks like you're just fucking 
you know, you're just pissed off at someone. I don't know. <laughs> right. I, I, I think I think that we need to recognize as like people who do internet for a living on lo- one level or another um, that what we're talking about is branding categories or market categories like the anti-woke left category is a category online yeah it's yeah a, got a demographic right and so you're kind of you end up playing to these demographics so the being the woke demographic is a demographic the comedy you know so and that what it really is a symptom of is how uh the left has become a marketing category rather than an actual political movement. And having said that, I want to move on and say everyone needs to write to YouTube to help my channel. <laughs> <laughs> and it, while you're at it, you might go by our Patreon and support us there. Um, but yeah, I mean, anyway, I'm going to say that in earnest in just a moment. But I, I that's right. I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, outside of this at all. But I don't. I. I Think that as much as it's about the individual psychology, it, it really is about the institutional forces and the political reality that we're facing. And that who knows what someone like Amy Therese would be doing if the algorithms acted differently. And that, and also who knows what Douglas Lane would be doing if mm. the algorithms acted differently. Yeah, so, no, fair. Yeah. I mean, who knows what the fuck we would be doing? I, I wouldn't have a job probably if it hadn't, the algorithm hadn't just hit me in a certain way that ended up in my favor, you know? Um, I got censored or was attempted to be censored by the fucking government. You know, that's probably why you heard about this show, you know, so I I had you on uh, the podcast when that happened. That's the first time I heard heard of you. And I I asked you for the world's funniest joke. And you looked at me or you just sat there in silence. What the fuck is wrong with you? I remember, Um, you know, I was (laughs) remain unqualified to answer that question. So I understand the world's funniest joke. Amy Therese. Oh, shit. Oh, no, Shots bro. fired. I have a feeling this podcast is going to come back to bite all of us in the yeah. ass. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could just. It was my fault it. for bringing <laughs> her up. But I do. Yeah, it's it, it. It really does boil too often. It boils down to just friend enemy distinctions. It's like I yeah. agree with this position because I like this guy or I like this person or, or I don't like this person. They, they support that. So and, and it's you're not actually. Too often, we're not actually thinking through the issues themselves, and it becomes, uh, as Daniel Denver put it on this really great episode he did on The Dig recently with uh, Alufemi Taiwo, who wrote this great essay about um, identity politics, which is that a lot of the critics of quote-unquote identity politics, for lack of a better term, uh, have just become like a funhouse mirror of the people they are were critiquing. You know, it's just become this this uh, unwinnable like yeah friend enemy situation where we're just talking about individuals and and you know proclivities and not actually discussing the issues and that's yeah i I think one of the drawbacks to to doing politics on social media yeah i mean I, i honestly i think that actually our friend sean kb probably put it best a while back uh me and him were talking about it and the way he put it was that it's just the other side of the culture war and when you have you know, woke people on one side and anti-woke people on the other side, what they're both doing is pretending to speak on behalf of the, you know, unwashed masses that they are right. not a part of. Right. Everyone's going, you know, poor people are all racist on one side and on the other side, people are going, no, they're, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And both of these Every things... Every single that, poor, no poor people are racist, which is the other one. He's a fucking, right. okay. no, no one's a monolith, right? And yeah. so what you don't realize is that, that that's the dichotomy. The, the answer to this... Yeah. Is not to look at things this way 
at all, right? Not just, oh, it's a binary, you know, it's black or it's white. Um, and I think that the, and a lot of the anti-woke people... If, if you're on Twitch, go, the big thing is don't get a hard-on if you use the end. Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'll be deplatformed and no one likes to be deplatformed yeah. while they have a hard on take it from me that's right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right well listen uh we already invoked we woke so many beasts of the internet with this podcast yeah. uh we, we did a summoning ritual and i'm sure they're here by now so we should probably First wrap part up. was so tame and nice and yeah. good and then we just went off the rails here in the second half that's all right we do both on this show uh we have a <laughs> some listeners who are here for the dirt and some here who are here for the um Whatever the opposite Vegetables. dirt is. Yeah. So, uh, enjoy. Which are grown in dirt. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, in all or on earnestness, though, you should go help out Zero Books. So go ahead and do your pitch, Doug. Oh, yeah. Good. Just if you want to, if you've heard this and you don't think I'm a shitlord and you'd like to uh, help us not be censored by the YouTube algorithm, tweet at them i don't know write them an email tell them that you think that it's a travesty of justice you can also go by um you really can go to our patreon page not necessarily to donate but to watch the original video that was taken down because it is up through through vimeo for as a public post on on patreon maybe you guys can link to it there um i think it's a serious issue it certainly is something i'm worried about for myself but also overall i think um uh, the way that the big tech uh, companies are censoring people right now is not only going to keep people from understanding the world uh, more fully, but uh, going to create a massive backlash. Um, and we should uh, get on the other side of that. All right. We'll press F in the chat for zero books i think is what the kids say oh, poggers no. no i think it's a good thing i can't remember maybe it's w I, that means that you've died isn't it i don't you do, it, oh yeah no don't press f <laughs> listen i don't know what i'm talking about i'm getting old <laughs> poggers um you know all women do is eat chiclets and lie or whatever eat hot chip um this is the end of the podcast let's do plugs Anders, right. you got anything? At Anders Lee here on Twitter, redacted tonight on YouTube. Uh, yeah, check out our our Twitch stream. We're gonna be having uh, more and more stuff. Um, and our Patreon. We recently did a fun episode about our our theme um, theme. The guy singer. who th- sings our theme song, Reverend Wright. Yes. That's what he's known for. <laughs> yeah. That was, by the way, that was a remix of of the sermon. He came in and recorded it special for us. But <laughs> yeah. we did a uh, thing about him, and uh, we're going to have more goodies on there. I might, I might release some chapters of um, my book I wrote a long time ago about Ralph Nader becoming president. Uh, we, maybe we'll put that on the Patreon. Let us know. All right, uh, Doug, you got anything? Um, we've just. I want to plug our YouTube channel while it's still up. Go check out Zero Books on YouTube, and uh, I will say that we have some good books coming out or that are out now. The Circle of the Snake by Grafton Tanner and Unlearning Marx uh, is a good book despite its title and despite <laughs> the fact that the author and I are not exactly the same kind of Marxists. Um, so those are two things I'll just plug. Uh, and also, I, I understand that uh, uh, Obama r- really likes The Good Place, and I think that's on Netflix. So I'll, I'll plug that. 
All right. It needs your help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the zero books bump for the good place. Uh, my other show is Why You Mad. My ad is Feral Jokes and everything. Um, you guys all know that. We have new merch coming up soon. And yeah, Twitch stream. I think it's finally going to happen. So come watch us on Twitch. Yell the N word at me, but not with a hard R. And please, if you want to call me a virgin and you don't want to get deplatformed from Twitch, don't say the N. I'm not sure how this works. I don't know. Um, <laughs> all right, everyone. That's a podcast. It's finished. It's finished.